Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Before we jump in, I did want to just cover a couple of things. Uh, today is Palm Sunday, as some of you probably, hey, all right, as some of you may well know. And, uh, and Palm Sunday is the kickoff and the beginning of Holy Week, okay? And this year, first of all, I'll, I'll say as I said in the first gathering, um, forgive me, and I mean that earnestly, for not leading us into this time better, coming out of the 21 days of prayer and fasting, I didn't want to put too much on you. Uh, but I just have felt compelled and convicted that those of us who are followers of the way of Jesus, this is our big week, right? This is our big week, kicking off with his triumphal entry. And so I want to make more of this moment in the coming years and, and praying through ways that we might do that. But one of the ways we're going to do it this year, uh, and so pray for my voice, pray for our teams. Uh, but we're going to have a service every day this week. Uh, in honor of Holy Week. And I know everybody can't make every service, but here's what I would encourage you. Try to make a few. Try to actually, actually, I, I'm doing a um, devotional on the Dwell app, and one of the things that uh, that the guy who's leading me through that journey, English Cat, today he was like, set aside your week. No matter what you have to do in order to acknowledge the Lord. And I was like, man, I really want to do that just because of how you sound saying it. Right? But he says, set aside this week, no matter what you have to, you know, take a, take a lunch break. But do all that you can do to be at the many, many worship services that faiths or, or, or rather Christian traditions from every background will be offering during the week of Holy Week. And so I want to encourage you to do the same. You can see the schedule there. It will be all over the place for you to continue to follow along. Uh, but first Wednesday, of course, this week will be Holy Wednesday. We're going to talk about that beautiful moment where... Uh, where Jesus' body was anointed for burial, and that being the only thing that he was wearing when he hung on the cross, and, and what a gift that is to us. And, of course, Good Friday, uh, we're going to do seven last words, and then Easter Sunday at 9 and 11, we're expecting the Lord to do glorious things. So please be here for any of those that you can. I'm excited to walk you through Jesus last week uh, before his death and subsequent resurrection and all that that means. And, of course, as I've said every week leading up to this, dream about who your one more is and who you're going to invite next week. We are expecting, as we did last year, we're, we're expecting this thing to be packed out because Christmas and Easter is what we do in the West. And so uh, show up early and expectant for what the Lord might do in and among our community. With that, check out this video that's going to lead us into our time.
Perhaps that is unfamiliar to you, and it probably would be unless you were from Thailand. Um, in the first service, I actually accidentally said Taiwan, so anybody who from Thailand or Taiwan, forgive me for that. That was a slip. Um, but it wouldn't be familiar to you unless you were from Thailand. And this song, this song is called Their Royal Anthem. And it's so culturally iconic uh, that it is played before movie showings and before all of the country's public gatherings. It's also played throughout the day uh, amid the busy streets of Bangkok. It's played all day long. And when the anthem begins, it's required that everyone stand in that moment and observe silence while it is played. Wherever they are, no matter what they're doing, no matter what they are occupied with, uh, the people from Thailand come to a standstill, and in that moment, they observe their king as king. In fact, it's seen as a display of their love for their king. It shows a reverence for their king. And the words themselves, as you just read, at their heart, and as we've just heard, display a longing and a dependence and a security, and listen, a hope in their king. You may have a myriad of thoughts and emotions related to hearing that anthem and, and how it's viewed in the Thai culture. But there is at least one thing that I think this song reveals, at least one thing that I think this song shows us about the deepest nature of human beings. And that is this, that despite our rebellious nature, despite our rebellious spirit, despite our insistence on doing things our own way, when we want to do them, despite all of those things, deep down, every single person wants a leader that they can trust. Maybe even one, maybe even one that they can revere. Despite all of our rebellious nature, we want someone we can trust that will show us the way to go. Our myths and our militaries, our public and our private organizations all speak to this shared human desire across cultures and across time. In fact, I would say that somewhere even beneath the weird, weird, weird fascination that some U.S. citizens have with the royal family, you know who I'm talking to. Get over it. <laughs> Even underneath that weird fascination, it's the same idea. What would it be like to be under the leadership of a king? But there's a challenge to this desire. There's a challenge that you and I face every day, particularly as people who are U.S. citizens. It's a challenge that actually presents itself twofold. Number one, our nation, among many other things, was founded on what? Escaping from a king. And so because of that, the Western world is known more for its wild individualism than it is for its collectivism. Everything starts and ends with me. It runs through me. It terminates on me. And I've got to figure out my life, my way to do my thing the way it's supposed to be done. Everything terminates here. And that individualism runs so deep 
and the issue with authority runs so deep that, that it actually wages war against this inherent desire that we have for trustworthy leadership. We've also been subject to so many failures in leadership. So many people who ultimately did not fulfill our desires, that it leaves us conflicted. We want to have a leader that we can admire, but at the same time, most of the people that have ever been put in front of us, we don't trust them to lead us anywhere. And this is the turmoil we live in. And how, how does it leave us feeling? How does it leave us feeling? A couple of words that I might put to it is generally distrusting of authority. Generally resistant of leadership. Generally self-protective. Determining that the best way forward is the way that I decide and the way that I do it. And when I want to get it done, I'll get it done. And if I can put it on me, then eventually it'll happen. And so we live inside of this conflict of wanting a leader that we can admire, but also wanting to get things done in our time on our, what, terms. And I stand right there with you. I, I really do. I, I stand. This is not a judgmental statement. The, the idea, the idea of absolute submission to and love for a leader is as challenging to me as the language in that song. Did you read the words? We will make ourselves true for you. It's challenging to me is the words in that song. In fact, years ago, years ago, I led a small mutiny on my wrestling team. You're probably not surprised by that. Coach, I love you. I'm sorry. Again, I'm sorry. But it was also partly your fault. Um, there were some tensions growing on the team. There were some tensions growing on the team. And rather than address them, I don't know, as mature young adults uh, and have a conversation with our leadership, uh, we instead decided to stage a mutiny. Me, uh, a brother named Nate Parker, you might know, he's an actor and director now. He was on my team, my roommate, really good friend. And then a couple of other people, we staged a mutiny and we refused to do any practices, any runs, any anything until they met our demands and we felt like we had our rights. But that mutiny didn't last very long. Because what I failed to account for was alongside of my demands, I also had parents. And it only took one phone call to get your boy back in line. He called Janice Crump. Janice Crump called me. I was the first one to practice the next day. <laughs> and so that mutiny never went the way that we thought it would go. And I only shared that with you. Listen, I only shared that little story with you because I live in the same tension that you do. And because I live in that same tension, if I had the opportunity, if I had the chance, if we could sit across from one another, I would long to guide you out of it. Why? Because we are raised so individualistically in the West that our wholehearted following of leadership is just an incredible challenge. It's an incredible challenge to following any human being. But here's the piece that we don't see. It's also an incredible challenge to us actually following Jesus. This is why I don't trust technology. It's also an incredible challenge to our following 
Jesus. Because the reality is what? If we believe we have a king, then we'll live like we have a king. Lolo, whoever, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. If we believe we have, that's what the devil didn't want you to hear today. If we believe we have a king, guess what? We'll behave like we have a king. We just saw it in a video for a man who will die. If we believe it, we will behave as though it's true. But what is our chief struggle? We often behave as what? And live as though we do not have a king. Love, dependence, reverence, celebration, submission, love, dependence, dependence, dependence. All my independent people, raise your hand. Yeah, you walked right into that. It's first service, smarter than y'all. Listen. We don't want to be independent. We want to be dependent. Love, dependence, reverence, reverence, desire, passion, celebration, submission. We get in here every Sunday and we're celebrating and and, and, and I'm shouting as loud as I, it's not because somebody told me to. I don't sing because Dr. Crowley told me to. I don't lift my hands because my wife tells me to. Those are responses of celebration that I'm in my king's presence. Not just rote Christian practice. Now, I'm not going to try to speak for you because you're more godly than me. So here's what I'll say. Instead of treating him as a king, sometimes, sometimes I, you would never do this. You would never do this. You would never, you have far too much of the spirit of God inside of you. But sometimes I treat Jesus as an elected official. And I deem his work worthy by how I decide it impacts my life the way that I want it to. And when he does not act in my favor, well, I try to de-elect him off the throne of my life. But that's just me. That's just me. And the reality is when we live that way, when we live that way, guess what? Our displays of affection, they are minimal. And our celebration of his kingship, it is diminished. And our reverence for him, it is reductionistic. And his royalty, his royalty becomes a topic to be examined rather than a reality that requires the full spectrum of my life. And yet the scriptures are clear. Before Kanye ever made an album, the scriptures are clear that Jesus is king. Good, benevolent, worthy of honor and celebration, Jesus is king. And his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, much like the Thai anthem, much like the Thai anthem, shows once again that if you believe Your king is in your midst. You behave like your king is in your midst.
In fact, Mark, the gospel author, captures it this way. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage in Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say to them, The Lord needs it. And they went away, and they found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing? Untying that colt. And they told them what Jesus had said. I love that it's written like that. Well, you see, Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. And then those who went ahead and those who followed, listen, were shouting, shouting. So, so at the end of a set, when I'm like, shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. I'm not just doing that because that's what black preachers do. <laughs> right? I go to a black church and he, he yells at us but with a smile. Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when they had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Where we find ourselves, Mark the action writer he is, tells us nothing about Jesus' previous visits to Jerusalem. Though it is quite apparent that he's been there before because of the reception that he received, right? It is quite apparent that he'd even taught in the temple. You can go back and look at that for itself. This was the week of Jesus' imminent death, what we have actually come to call, what, Holy Week. And leading up to this moment, Jesus had just told his disciples for yet the third time that he was about to die. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over the, to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. And these guys were still asking when the earthly kingdom was coming. So don't feel so bad about yourself. But that was days away. For now, Jesus still had the favor, listen, the favor and the fandom of the people. And being a fan and a follower are not the same thing. He had the favor, and why would he not? Why would he not? He went around healing and feeding and raising people's babies from the dead. Why would he not have their favor and their fandom? In fact, right before this moment, he had just healed a guy who was crying out to him to be healed. He had just given him sight back. And so we enter this moment. Mark tells us that when the disciples and Jesus were about a half a mile, if you want to know that, distance a half a mile from the city, he had them stop at the Mount of Olives. That was intentional. It was so that he could survey from that point all of Jerusalem and see the kingdom that he was coming to reclaim. Jesus gives detailed instructions. We just read them together, which clearly denotes supernatural knowledge. In fact, it was as if, I mean, this is crazy, as if Jesus knew exactly what the people would say when they came for the donkey. Go and get the colt. Here's what they're going to say. When they say it, here's what I need you to say. And so the disciples obeyed Jesus. 
They went into the village. They found the donkey tied up outside. They told the people what they had to tell them. And then things went the way they were supposed to go. Isn't it interesting that we don't see the disciples having an argument with Jesus in this moment? Again, I would never, listen, I would never, not you, me. Go and get that donkey. Well, what color is the donkey? Is it a big donkey or a little donkey? Is it male or is it female? Does it have spots? What if it bites? What if it doesn't like me? Should I still get it? You see, half of it, listen, half of our issue is Jesus makes things plain and then we ask him questions that have nothing to do with what he's already directed us to do. We get caught up in questions. We get caught up in questions when if we just did what he told us to do, So here's my word to you today. Do what Jesus asked without worry or resistance. That's what they did. They didn't worry about it. They didn't ask a bunch of questions. They didn't, well, well how, what, okay, so what if he got a sword? These are all things that I thought about because this is the way my weird brain works. And these are all the reasons, all the reasons, trying to figure out the details of things that I don't need because I have a word from Jesus that have kept me from walking into the things that Jesus actually sent me to walk into. Now, I don't know who that's for today, but. So they do what Jesus asked them to do. And he knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus did. This was a revolutionary move. Right then and there, he was declaring his kingship. Well, the events unfold, just as Jesus said they would. The owners of the colt ask why. The disciples say, Jesus needs it. The owner's like, see you later. No problem. Why? Why? Because when we trust Jesus' words, things will work as Jesus says. Guys, I love you so much, and I mean that. And I'm not trying to badger you. I just, I see this thing in us where we want a word, but then when we get a word, we don't like the word, so we ask for a new word. And then when it doesn't work out, we're like, why, God, why? Well, because that's not the word I told you to follow. I didn't tell you to go find a bronco on the edge of the city. I told you to go find a donkey in the middle of the city. And you come back with a bronco and mad that I won't ride it. This is not a part of the plan. But if we would trust Jesus' words, Jesus' words, then things will work out the way Jesus says. But when they return with the young donkey, they do something perhaps unexpected to us. They threw their cloaks on it and then Jesus sat on it. Now, maybe you think it to yourself, well, Jesus was wearing like a fine linen seamless robe. And so maybe they didn't just want him to get dirty, right? They got to protect the homie. You got to keep the homie, you know, <laughs> keep the J's clean, right? No. 
what they were doing when they set those coats on there were creating an impromptu throne. They were creating a place that was worthy for a king to sit. In fact, consider this. And maybe, maybe this is going to be poof for you. Maybe you already thought about this. Jesus walked everywhere he went. Everywhere. Birkenstocks, ready. Feet, dirty. Right? How do we know? Because when he went into Simon's house, he was like, you didn't give me nothing to wash my feet, but she just washed my feet with her tears and dried my feet with her hair. He walked everywhere. And so the question is, why all of a sudden, a half a mile outside of Jerusalem, he decides he needs a ride? Thank God. This was intentional. This was intentional. He was trying to fulfill the words of the prophets that were spoken hundreds of years ago. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus was making a declaration, I'm him. I'm him. His entry into Jerusalem was not routine. It was the culmination of the revolution that he began from the first time he opened his mouth to the time he turned water into wine. I'm him. The one that you've been waiting for. He was no miracle working man. He was not another prophet in the long lines of the prophets that spoke the words of God on behalf of God. No, 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 no. He was God. He is God. He was king. He is king. And this is a declaration that he was making. And his entrance into Jerusalem on the back of a young colt was an announcement. It was an announcement to every earthly ruler and every principality and every other worldly power that your day stops now. Your boundaries have been set. Your edges have been pulled. I am the one who is king of the universe. And there is no power greater than mine. Well, the people seem to have some sense of it. They have some sense of it, not total. They have some sense of it. Why? Because they spread their cloaks on the road. And other people spread out leafy branches. And this was a typical practice in inaugurating a new king in their culture and in their history. Now, as Jesus approaches the city gates, we read this together already, the people shout, Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest heaven. You know what that means? Does anybody know what Hosanna means? It means save us now, we pray. Save us now, we pray. For generations, for generations, these people had longed for the return of their former glory, longed for the days when Israel was large and powerful and prosperous, longed for the days when they were under the leadership of their great ancient King David, when they did not have any fear of subjugation, they did not have any fear of being overpowered, and they didn't have any fear of lack. They had longed for these days. The 
since that time, they've been subjugated to varying powers. And in Jesus' time of incarnation, at that time, it was Rome. The people longed for the one who would deal with the enemies of the nation and rule as king of the world. They expected this new David to be a human figure. Through a human being, they believed God would actually come back and rule the nation. In fact, two passages capture this, Malachi 1.14, for I am a great king, says Yahweh of hosts, and my name is revered among the nations. I will extol you, my God and my king, and bless your name forever. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The biblical authors expected Yahweh to become king through a son of David who would enter the holy city and establish his throne. Could anybody that day miss what was actually happening? It was foretold. Jesus was not only re-entering the city as the king, but he was also fulfilling God's promise that his glory, his glory would return to the temple. You think Jesus just entered the temple to turn that thing out and look around. No, Jesus was fulfilling the promise from the Father that one day the glory of Yahweh would rest on the temple again. There was a misunderstanding. Maybe a misunderstanding that some of us struggle with. You see, they cried out Hosanna to Jesus. But it was an appeal for Jesus to save them from a foreign power, not to eternal life. It was an appeal for him to bring salvation and for him to bring the kingdom, but not in the way that Jesus came to do it. They wanted Jesus to come and fix their circumstances. Jesus was trying to fix their eternity. They cried out for the right Savior, but they cried out for the wrong salvation. They cried out for the right king, but they cried out for the wrong kingdom. They cried out and believed that Jesus was able, but they limited his ableness to their limited understanding. And who am I to judge? It's quite likely that I would have been right there with them saying, Jesus, save me from these people and these problems. Save me from Rome. Be king, listen, be king over my circumstances. Enter in when things aren't going the way that I want them to go. Be king over my circumstances, not king over my life, not king over my choices, not king over my my resources, not king over my worship, not king over my fear, not king over my control. Just be king over my circumstances right now. And then you can be done when I feel like I got it. Essentially, essentially their cry was, and I'm just going to be honest before you, this is a lifelong struggle for me. Essentially, their cry was, be king the way I want you to be king. Not the way that you came to be king. 
if only they understood deeply the words of the prophets that, that this government and, and this peace and this kingdom and this justice and this righteousness, that it could not be contained in a mere man and it could not be contained in, in just a simple human being and it could not be contained to a time or an era or an epoch, but that it must be contained by the living God and it must be in the hands of the living king and it must be something that is declared to be eternal not temporal. If only they understood those words. They wanted a temporal kingdom. They wanted a comfortable kingdom. They wanted an immediate kingdom. But what God promised was a universal kingdom, a never-ending kingdom, an eternal kingdom, backed by the zeal of the living God himself. And so before them, before them was not a king for a day. Guys, come on now, hear me. Not a king for a circumstance. Not a king for a situation. Not a king to solve a problem. Not a king of just getting a promotion. But a king over everything. At all times. And in every way. That is the king he came to be. The king who would subvert hell, death, and the grave. That king. The king who rules over everything. It was to him they cried, save us, now we pray. And days later, the same people would be chanting crucify him. Why? Why? Because when the king doesn't king how we want him to king, then we want him crucified. And what could feel like bad news is actually good news. You see, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem is determined triumphant precisely because he was crucified. Only a crucified king could save fully. Jesus took the dysfunction of this world upon himself and swallowed it up in divine grace and mercy. He absorbed it all. He dealt with the enemies of the nation, not through power, but through sacrifice. And in doing so, he was properly constituted as king of the universe. Listen, earthly kingdoms rise and fall. Earthly governments come and go. One president gets elected, he makes a bunch of moves. The next president gets elected, he undoes it. The next one gets elected, they undo it again. Earthly governments come and go. When Rome was a power, Rome occupied more landmass and had more authority as a single nation than any nation before it and any nation after it. And guess what? In a matter of years, it was just done. kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, secured by crucified King Jesus, is a kingdom that has no end, a kingdom without end. 
And so the invitation before us, whether we are followers of the way of Jesus or maybe we're here and we're deconstructing or we don't know what we believe about Christianity or we don't know exactly what we feel about all this church stuff, this is the heart of the matter. None of the other stuff that people debate about, not the stuff that people argue about, not the stuff that people make important, this is the heart of the matter. Is Jesus king? And if he is, will you give yourself over to his love and leadership so that you can be a part of this never-ending kingdom? And so if we are stirred at all, if we are stirred at all, even just a little bit, the question that we should be asking ourselves is, okay, what do we do? What do we do now? What do we do with this? Listen, this is going to be disgustingly simple. And at the same time, infuriatingly complex because of who we are inside. You see, what we do is, is quite simple. If we're following the way of Jesus, we live like Jesus is king. That's it. I told you. We live like Jesus is king. We live like it is the truth. We acknowledge Jesus as king over every, every area of our lives. We acknowledge him as king over everything, king over our decisions, king over how we move, king over where we move, king over where we plant, king over who we date, king over how we spend, king over what we buy, king over where we invest our time, king over how we serve, king over how we love, king over everything. That's the decision, that he is truly king in every crevice and corner of our lives. And so we share the good news of the gospel like Jesus is king. And we gather weekly for worship like Jesus is king. And we serve like Jesus is king. And we commit to community like Jesus is king. And we vote like Jesus is king. Not with hope for any human being to save us. Now that feels like a tall order. That feels like a tall order. Then here's my invitation to you. Because I just named about 27 things which should all be submitted to the kingship of Jesus. But if that feels like a tall order, here's my invitation to you. What is the one area in your life right now, the one area in your life right now where you are willfully resisting the kingship of Jesus? Will you give it to him? Will you give it to him? Will you give it to him today? Because here's the promise. The promise is that if you'll submit to Jesus' kingship, the great gift he extends to us is abundant life, abundant life, and eternal life. It is freedom from sin and bondage and freedom to who he always meant us to be. It's clarity in your calling. It's joy in this world and the world to come. The alternative, of course, is to continue to trust self over Jesus and continue to do things on our own terms and continue to temporarily entrust ourselves to people who have countless times proven to be insufficient to be our God. That's the alternative. And so I'm inviting you along with myself today to ask the question, what if we begin right now, today, right now, right now, 
to truly live as though we have a king. I believe, number one, I believe those words that we are so familiar with praying, your kingdom come and your will be done, will become more real to us than they've ever been in our lives. But more than that, I believe we'll see it. I believe we'll see the kingdom come in ways that we cannot fathom. In fact, I was praying. I've been praying for revival ever since everything broke out at Asbury. If you don't know what I'm talking about, get the internet. Ever since everything broke out at Asbury, I've been praying, Lord, how do we get revival? How do we see revival? How do you do revival here? And you know what he finally answered me this weekend? And he said, when those people who are called by my name turn their hearts toward me as though I am their king, I will show up and show out in ways that they cannot imagine. And so I hope you would declare with me, long live the king. Long live the king. Father, we bless your holy name. And we pray that your word today would be sealed to our hearts and that we would be visibly transformed under the hearing of it. And that we would never be the same. Father, come and be our king. Be our king. And teach us to live as though you are. In Christ's name, amen.